0: What is it that I need to adjust in the way that I'm speaking to a certain issue so that it can be understood and so that I can be understood uh, with the audiences with which, which I'm speaking and not just assume, oh, hey, we're all Americans, so we can say things in the same way and all understand each other.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Message Makeover podcast brought to you by the Latimer Group, the experts in persuasive communication, and the Cooney Company, the experts in business connection. I'm Dean Brenner and I'm joined today by my colleague, Dan Cooney. Hello, Dan. Howdy, Dean. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited for this conversation. Uh, Welcome to 2021. Uh, What a year we've been through and
2: what a year we're already off to, huh? Yeah, we're being shot out of a cannon, but I know people have a lot of hope about this year, and I'm gonna prognosticate that we will get to a place where that was well-founded yeah yeah,
1: I think you're right. i I think a lot of people were sort of counting on the change of the calendar to end all of our problems. i I don't think it's that simple, but but I, I do agree with you. I think we've got strong expectations that we are we have better times ahead. that's that's my hope anyway.. So. Amen. And one of the things that I'm most excited for in two thousand and twenty one, Dan, is to watch your new venture, the Cooney Company, the experts in business connection get up and running, and I would love it if you'd spend a couple of minutes talking to our listeners about what you're up to.
2: That is so generous, Dean, I appreciate that. Well, as you know, every workshop that I taught for the Latimer Group, I would always introduce myself and say, you know, I believe that we're on the planet to connect to one another in order to do good work, and that is something that I've always believed, and my whole career has been about connecting you know, back in the day, voters to ideas and issues, or connecting sponsors to teams and fans, something that we worked on together, or customers to products. So uh, it just made sense for me to build a business around business connection. And I'm really excited to do that. And as always, enjoy connecting with you and the Latimer Group and the Message Makeover podcast.
1: Well, it's going to be great. It's
2: going to be really exciting to watch
1: You grow it, I've been through it, I know what you're going through, and uh, everybody at the Latimer Group is cheering for your success. So, looking forward to it. Appreciate that, thanks. It's gonna be fun. Today, Dan and I are honored to be joined by international trade guru, Kelly Myman-Hawk. Kelly is a managing partner of McClarty Associates, where she has led their trade practice since 2000. A former United States trade representative, negotiator, and foreign service officer, serving all over Latin America. Kelly has helped major multinational companies to leverage opportunities and troubleshoot obstacles to market access and investment globally. She's worked on various aspects of industrial policy, ranging from local content requirements to data localization and trade remedies. She's also fluent in three languages. And I'm proud to say I know Kelly because we were classmates at Georgetown and I've known her since, well, I won't say since how long I've known Kelly, but we've been friends for a long time. It is our pleasure to welcome you, Kelly, to the Message Makeover podcast.
0: Thanks so much for inviting me, Dean.
1: Yeah, we are really excited
0: to have
1: this conversation with you. Dan and I have been looking forward to this one for a while. And, uh, you know, obviously, before we get into our questions with you, Kelly, you know, it, it's, 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 we're recording this at the end of, uh, you know, the first full week of January. It's, it's Friday, January 8th, when we record this. This has obviously been a really consequential week, not only in the United States, but with you know, around the world, some of the things going on in Hong Kong. And, and we, we felt like we'd be remiss if, if we didn't acknowledge that and, and talk about that a little bit. And I'm sure, I'm sure you've got a really interesting perspective on, on some of what we've been watching going on in Washington. We'd love to hear your thoughts.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, Dean. It's been a tough week. Um, And, you know, for a firm like yours that is focused on communication, I think we could have no better symbol of what a bad job we're doing as a country, communicating with each other, uh, as we uh, saw at the Congress, um, you know, this week. And I confess, you know, for those of us that are longtime Washington hands, um, it, it, you know, it was hard not to have a little bit of PTSD, you know, back uh, in 9 11 my husband was working in the senate and was in the senate building when it was evacuated uh on that fateful day and uh, it was it was hard to watch i'm not going to lie to you it was very very difficult to be uh here in washington and to see you know what what we here call really the embodiment or the cathedral to democracy uh be attacked in yes. that way
1: yeah it was it was brutal to watch and I'm, and i'm sure you were you all and a lot of people that you work with and care very much about were were living it more than most of us were. So I can't imagine that was easy. Well, um,
0: I hope it'll be an inspiration to communicate better and to move forward as a country.
1: Yeah, yeah, no question about it. No question about it. That's certainly we certainly have that opportunity, and and it's obviously our hope that we can get there. So anyway, but we have a lot of great things to talk about with you, and and we're excited to get into it. Uh, and and we've got a bunch of questions and. Dan, why don't you jump in here and, and fire away?
2: Yeah, welcome, uh, Kelly. Uh, the mantra here at the Latimer Group is that great communications skills can change the world. And uh, as you mentioned, we need to change that world. Uh, we heard you tell a story about growing up in Omaha, Nebraska, and how having a tall mom changed your world and got you <laughs> started down your path. And we uh, wondered if you would share that with our listeners.
0: Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. I mean, I, you know, I got interested in trade policy, um, which is, is really how I've spent most of my career um, back in the 80s. Um, and what originally got me interested in trade policy, uh, you know, growing up in Omaha, Nebraska, it sounds like a kind of weird thing to get interested in. Um, but uh, a couple of things, you know, my, my mom is six feet tall and has size 10 feet. And growing up, uh, and this sounds funny nowadays, but back then, there were really no places to buy clothes or shoes that fit her in Omaha. And so we would oh. uh, unless, you know go to the men's department, right? So we would uh, we would drive down to Kansas City and uh, buy clothes there. And that got me thinking, kind of why don't we have access to these goods here in? In broad measure, and I started paying attention to what's on the supermarket shelves and where do these things come from. Um, and you know, at that point, you know, people now say, you know, oh, China, you know, Chinese imports, and and get all, you know, worried about uh, about cha- trade with China. But back in the eighties, it was Japan, right? And so we were in a lot of uh, mm. trade conflicts, uh, you know, automobiles, semiconductors, etc. And I got interested uh, in that angle of it, studied in Japan uh, during high school, and uh, kind of, you know, went down that path. So uh, it was an unusual maybe entry to it. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, the reason that I'm interested in trade policy so much to this day, it's, it's kind of, um, to me, economics and psychology together, um, because how oh, people decide, you know, to spend their money shows what they value, um, and uh, it shows, uh, you know, what where where they uh, where their priorities are. And so, uh, anyway, I think it's an interesting field.
1: That that's that's amazing. I love the way you said that economics and psychology. Right. Like like that, that, that. And connecting those two things. That's a really interesting angle that I I'm not sure I've ever heard it said that way before. So tell us a little bit more about what you're thinking about there.
0: Yeah. No, I, I you know, I think that you know, the reason trade policy is so complicated and it is um, is, you know, as I say, it shows it shows what a society values. It shows what. Uh, a state, uh, you know, values how it, you know, not only from a consumer standpoint, closes people, feeds its people, but then from an employment standpoint, how it closes its people and feeds its people. And those interests are not always uh, on a national level with a country as economically diverse as ours, aren't always perfectly, perfectly aligned. And so, um, you know, if you look at something as simple, you know, as a family budget, you know, if you, can save money on that Easter dress that you buy for your daughter. Uh, you know, in the spring, um, what? Where do you use that savings? Do you, Do you get maybe a car that's yeah. a little bit more expensive, et cetera? So I think you know, for me, it's 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 that basic. Um, you know, the link between yeah. economics and psychology when you talk trade policy.
1: Yeah, completely. And and you know, what one other thing that you know, connecting back to the conversation about th- what's going on this week, and also your your life in Omaha. Nebraska. Yeah, I mean, you, you, your perspective is really, really fascinating to somebody like me. I've lived on the East Coast my whole life, and you know, you, you know, you, no matter how you slice it, you can make an argument that we there are at least two Americas right now. And yeah. you know, somebody who grew up in the mid in, in the middle of the country but has spent most of her adult life in 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 D.C. You know, like I, I, you, you've you've got to be particularly well placed to See multiple sides of this divide. Got to be fascinating for you.
0: Well, you know, here's here's what I would say about that. I mean, I think that, and, and you know, I've spent my adult life in D.C. and in Latin America. I've lived all over Latin America as well, and Central America, mm-hmm. and Colombia back during the drug wars. And uh, I've lived all over Brazil, three different cities. And mm-hmm. you know, when you go to a foreign country, it's clear to you that you're going to communicate in a different way. You know, the language is different. Um, You know, the culture is different. And I think what's really important to remember when we're talking about communications is that we Mm -hmm. need to think about communications within our own communities and our own country in the same way. Um, And think about, you know, what is it that I need to adjust in the way that I'm speaking to a certain issue so that it can be understood and so that I can be understood uh, with the audiences with with which, which I'm speaking, and not just assume, oh, hey, we're all Americans, so we can say things in the same way and all understand each other.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish it were that simple, right? Yeah. But you're absolutely right. But you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Uh,
0: no, we all can
2: be looking at the same thing, but seeing it very differently.
0: Hundred percent, no, and and I and I do think, and it, this is something that I speak to a lot. Just as we think about you know workforce issues, including at my own firm at McClarty Associates, is you know when you talk about you know making sure that organizations, companies, associations, uh, you know have uh, a diversity uh, of 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 people uh, working in those organizations. You know, I often remind folks, you know, there's diversity. It, you know, there's various aspects to it, right? You obviously have race, you have gender, you have sexual orientation, but you also have perspective. And, you yeah. know, I will say, you know, as you say, Dean, as a Nebraskan who's been kicking around, uh, you know, Washington mm-hmm. and then kicking around Latin America for my entire career, um, it's it's really, um, you know, stark for me that, you know, not everybody fully understands how to speak to the middle of the country. And, yeah. um, you know, it kind of you feel a little bit like a cultural translator, and in, in, in some ways, uh, when you're in those situations.
1: Yeah, I, I love the way you're talking about that. I mean, diversity is a critically important issue, and and we've made it more important this year in 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 so many good ways. And and it's important to remember that diversity comes in a lot of different forms. You know, geographic yeah, diversity, exactly. generational diversity, academic background diversity. There's there's so many ways to look at it, and and I love the way you're that you're talking about that.
0: Uh, no, there really is, and, and it's not to belittle any of the other aspects of of diversity no, no. and importance of them. I just think we need to appreciate all of those aspects and just um, maybe listen to each other a little bit better.
1: Yeah, uh, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more with that, and and that
0: actually flows
1: really well into our second question for you. So so let's switch now to the concept of international trade, and and that's a complicated topic, and and I would exhaust my knowledge on that topic in about a two minute conversation. Um, But, 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 you know, but I know enough about it to know that there's that you're dealing with a lot of different audiences exactly to the point you were just making. And, and when you get into negotiations with international trade partners or potential partners, you know, you've got to find common ground with them. And then the added, the added elements, the added difficulty of then having to sell its value back here at home and, 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 I'm sure that you've seen examples where, where one is harder than the other, but then in other situations where the other's, you know, s- selling it interna- with the international audience might be the hard part, and other times we're selling it back here at home is the hard part. And, and we obviously spend a ton of time with our clients talking about audience understanding and awareness. And we'd love to hear your perspective on that, because you have to deal with two at least two very different audiences in your world.
0: Uh, multiple, <laughs> multiple audiences. Yeah. I'll give you. I'll give you an anecdote. Um, yeah. When I was hired uh, away from the State Department uh, to work as mm-hmm. a trade negotiator at USTR, uh, I was mm-hmm. not terribly experienced, and I was frankly shocked that uh, that they gave me the job. It's it's kind of it's a competitive agency to get a job at. And uh, when I asked my boss why did you hire me, and he said because you had the right answer to the toughest question. And that toughest question was this, what are you most worried about in taking this job? Negotiating with the foreign governments or negotiating in the interagency process? And for your non-Washington listeners, um, the interagency process is a very complicated discussion, very structured discussion in the US government between Mm -hmm. the various government agencies. So State Mm -hmm. Department, Department of Commerce, Office of the US Trade Representative, Department of Defense, uh, Environmental Protection Agency, where you have to decide upon what is the U.S. government position going to be. So I would even put an interim step to what you suggested. Even before you go to a meeting with that foreign government, you have to negotiate within the U.S. government structure and take into consideration a variety of points of view, different states, different economic interests, Agricultural interests might be contrary to what the tech sector wants, Uh, you know, interests, (laughs) um, you know, for the EPA is going to be obviously the Environmental Protection Agency is going to be very interested in protecting the environment, while the Department of Commerce Mm -hmm. is going to be very interested in growing exports. These interests don't necessarily combine. Um, they don't necessarily uh, fit together <laughs> neatly. Um, so that's really the first step in negotiation before you even get a chance to negotiate with a foreign government.
1: Wow.
2: I, I like the way you said combine or work together. You might also say fiercely compete with one another.
0: Oh, they do. And believe me, those <laughs> negotiations, those interagency negotiations are, are tough, you know, and yeah. um and and I think you know for me what always worked best uh, as a as a technique in those talks I would say both from an interagency standpoint talking to my my fellow uh, you know public servants in the U.S. government but then also negotiating with foreign governments is you know first and foremost to approach each conversation with empathy and and you know people think of empathy as kind of a soft or a squishy word and you know oh it means you're being soft. It really doesn't. Mm. It means that you're trying to no. understand what the other person needs and, and what will make <laughs> them walk away from that negotiating table a winner. And if you understand that, then chances are you can get to a result that you both can call a win in a much more successful way.
1: You, 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 you are reading our minds here. That, that is one of our favorite words at the Latimer Group, empathy. And, and we couldn't agree more. It is not a bad word. It is a it is a mission-critical word in, in, the, in the 21st century. It, it is something we need a lot more of.
0: It really is. And, and I credit, again, to harken back to my first boss at USTR. And in case he ends up listening, his name's Peter Algeyer. He's re- retired now. He's amazing. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, when I took that job, I was 28 years old. And I was kind of at that stage in my career where I felt like I had to prove myself, you know, and I had to, sure. you know, show what I knew and s- step up and talk all the time. You know, I looked at mm-hmm. Peter in every meeting, every negotiation, he would sit back and he would listen and he yeah. would take a look at what other people's positions were, their body language. And uh, I, I took note of that and I learned from it. And, uh, you know, it's that old saying, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. And uh, I believe yes. that's true.
2: It's uh, sad to it- say that listening is a differentiator these days. Uh, because just not that many people are doing it.
0: No, I think that's right.
2: So so take
1: us through the other, uh, so so you introduced us to a third audience that I didn't even contemplate in the way I formulated the question, the interagency audience. But then, you know, so you get to the point where now at least you're to some level on the same page with your, your agency colleagues. Yep. And now you now you start talking to your global partner audience. And I would right. imagine the more countries at the table, the more complicated this gets. But right. just give us a little insight into that form of communication and and how that works and and what what works and what doesn't work.
0: Yeah, no, it, you know, I think that I would harken uh, back to what I was saying as far as the cultural differences. And mm-hmm. you know, my my bias again, I'm fluent in Spanish and Portuguese. And um, you know, at our firm, you know, everybody's uh, for the most part fluent in the languages for the countries where they where they're operating. Um, you know, that's the the most base you know, level of communication is, you know, language, right? And, and, and being able to communicate with your counterparts in a way, uh, and again, not just language, language, but also the cultural piece of language um, and, uh, and being sure that you're, you know, being heard uh, properly and understanding what their political constraints are, uh, what they're facing at home, what demands they have politically, and you know again trying to position it's it's kind of it's so trite and i really don't like the saying win win but it's hard to find a better one when you're talking about negotiations because that really is you know the best way to 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 come to a good accord um and then when you finally get to the point with that foreign government uh, or as you say group of foreign governments which is definitely more complicated it's much more valuable to the US economy to be able to open up a variety of economies simultaneously um, as we tried to in the Trans-Pacific Partnership and other negotiations. It's much harder um, and much trickier, um, but you know, speaking to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, that's a great example. Um, very difficult negotiation from an economic value standpoint to the US economy, very, very valuable, but we failed to sell yeah. it at home. And that's that final piece, Dean, that you were talking yes. about. You know, we, we absolutely, were unable to convince Americans in broad measure um, the business community yeah. certainly understood the value but you know we we really kind of lost our social license to operate uh, as trade negotiators um, in that TPP was not able the trans-pacific partnership was not able to be to be passed and and ultimately the u.s. walked away from it which uh, has certainly been to our economic detriment and we see China filling that void in Asia.
1: Yeah Wow. Fascinating.
2: Well, that's great. And this is a a good segue, Kelly, to to the next thing, because uh, we always talk about persuasion as a close cousin to negotiation. And we wonder, given, you know, you as a veteran of many, several international negotiations, your general style and approach, you you know, maybe some of your do's and don'ts would be really helpful for our audience.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think think do's, we've... uh, reference a little bit, but I'll maybe put a finer point on it, um, you know, the, that listening is the key first point, but the second point is really fully understanding and uh, researching, because the person on the other side of the table won't always openly share with you what their end game is, right? Um, right. They won't always be able to be open with you as far as what pressures they're under, Uh, in their uh, domestic political scene or their domestic economy. And so I think it's really important to do your homework, right? And to go into any negotiation, um, you know, with very good data and understanding on what that person on the other side of the table uh, is, is facing in their own situation. So that you are able to put forward your objectives in a way that can be viewed as appealing to them. So, you know, just kind of doing that legwork and that homework ahead of time for me is basic. And then, the other most basic point that I would make is is trust. Um, you know, we absolutely are not able to advance uh, in any negotiation. I would say a trade negotiation, a commercial negotiation, or frankly. negotiation with your spouse or your kids you know um without having that very strong level of trust that people know that your word is your bond and um that yes you've got your objective and you've got your you know home constituencies that you need to appeal to and that you need to uh keep happy um but at the end of the day that you're going to be a straight shooter
2: it's good to know dean that we're not the only one negotiating with our spouses (laughs) <laughs> that makes Believe me feel me. better
0: today. <laughs> Believe absolutely. Me. absolutely. Especially during COVID when uh, part of that negotiation is uh, for how long they have to stay out of my office while I'm on a podcast.
2: Yeah. Exactly. More stressful <laughs> negotiations over the last uh, nine months or so.
0: Absolutely.
1: But, but you know, we use ter- a ter- a couple of terms in our work that you're, you're absolutely referencing. And, and maybe this is vocabulary you use as well but we talk about awareness coming in many forms, and two of the most important in the teaching that we do is audience awareness and situational awareness. And, and that's exactly what I hear you talking about. I mean, understanding somebody's motivations, what they care about, but, but th- there's also this risk, and, and maybe you've seen a little bit of this in your time, where a high level of audience awareness, where you know somebody really, really well, can cause some complacency, where maybe you get a little too comfortable in your knowledge and your situational awareness falls because yep. you're relying on your audience awareness and maybe you miss something that's changed in their reality that ultimately you, you you stub your toe on. You ever seen anything like that?
0: I think that's a great point. and um and you know, I think during covid that's that's actually been something that, all of us that are you know working um with uh either companies in the private sector or you know ngos or think tanks Mm -hmm. it's something that we've really had to sharpen our awareness of because you might know that person um at your client or at your customer um and you might you know it could be a 20 year old relationship uh and you understand their company and you understand their culture um but if their stock price just went down by fifty percent, the day before you had a call with them, and you didn't acknowledge that, or you didn't weave that understanding into the way that you presented a certain issue to them, then you were tone deaf, and you might have really mishandled that conversation. So I think, particularly at times of severe, um, you know, economic flux cultural fl- flux, societal flux, I think it's pretty safe to say we're facing all three of those right now in the United States, yes. if not globally. Um, you know, you can you can really have a misstep.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and you know, that actually is a perfect segue into our next question, but we've already been talking, so many of the things that you've mentioned to us already, event, when done well, listening, empathy, you know, preparation, all these forms of awareness, all of these things, when done well, ultimately build trust. And and you know, I, I'd love to to dig into this a little bit. And 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 I'm sure you wouldn't want to mention specifics or names or anything like that. But 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 if there's a way for you to, uh, to give us an example of something that you've seen where maybe a trust deficit or or a lack of trust across the table ultimately got in the way, or or maybe you were able to navigate around it. And ultimately, be successful despite it. But, but I'd love to dig in. We'd love to dig in for a few minutes on this concept of trust as as a pillar of global communication.
0: Yeah, I, I think there's nothing more important, Dean, to be honest, um, than this trust aspect. And the issue is that that flux that I was talking about before. Um, it's it's natural. It's part of it's part of life. It's part of economics. It's part of the life cycle of companies. Um, and I mm-hmm. think where I've seen that kind of tested uh, probably in the most serious way is when you're looking at a situation of, you know, a, a significant MA, a big, you know, merger acquisition. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, in those cases, you know, you've got two uh, usually, you know, very significant economic actors coming to the table with very different interests at play, Um, Mm -hmm. typically, um, typically to, uh, not always, but, but often, um, very different corporate cultures, perhaps business models, uh, perhaps ways of communicating themselves, uh, as corporate entities. Mm -hmm. And, um, in those situations, you know, at least as an external consultant, um, you know, where, where I think, you know, we, we find ourselves at McLarty Associates where a role, you know, that, that we end up playing quite often is being a bit of a bridge. Um, and, you know, making sure that, you know, our, you know, being straight shooters, as I was saying before, um, is, Mm -hmm. you know, understood, uh, by all the players, uh, you know, at the table so that you are able to kind of bring people together, um, in a very productive way, um, and Mm -hmm. then introduce, you know, those players to very different you know, cultural markets globally. I mean, virtually every company in today's day and age is global in some way, unless you're really talking mm-hmm. a small and medium sized enterprise that acts in, a, in, a, in just a particular community. So, you know, mm-hmm. thinking about the trust aspect, not only within your own organization or a newly merged organization, if you're coming together, uh, you know, into a new entity, um, but then also externally um, and communicating that in the right way is really important.
1: And just thinking about that concept of trust for a second, you know, they, you know, if, if they have trust for you across the table, but maybe, you know, have, have you seen a situation where the, tr- the lack of trust isn't about you personally,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it might be about the people behind you or the country behind you yeah. or the situation, like, you know, it, you, 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 you are the living embodiment <laughs> of the trust of the people that you're representing, and and the, the lack of trust might not be a commentary on you, right? What do you oh, do 100%. there? 100
0: percent. You uh, you learn when you work, you know, in trade and commercial negotiations very quickly to take nothing personally. Um, uh, I really don't, and uh, I think that's that's important I, to to have at the same time that that you know emotional sensitivity and EQ to be able to read other people. But then, also to have a, a bit of a a tough enough shell to not take anything personally in that negotiation or that discussion you know that that you know a more sensitive person might think, "Oh, this is about me." and typically you know I think as human beings sometimes we get a little bit too um too focused on ourselves, I guess you know, can be a little bit egotistical. I think it's part of the human condition, um, and I, I think sure. it can be really important to kind of step back and say, you know what, this ninety percent of things out there probably aren't about me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've, um, uh, Dan, you
2: and I, have, you and I are never guilty of that, right? Ever? No, I, I don't know anyone with a large <laughs> ego or in need of a lot of um, attention. Well, North you have to blanket. remember, I live
0: in Washington, so no. we're, we're the city of ego. We're very good at that. I get
2: it. I get it. You know, it's, it's, even here in Massachusetts and uh, in Connecticut, but um, this idea of building trust, obviously key in so many parts of our life, and I'm just wondering how the global health crisis affects the negotiations. We assume most formal negotiations done face-to-face and that there's a lot of, a lot of that trust that you're trying to build. Is probably done more easily when you're face to face and in person. Um, so, how how, do, how does uh, the, the COVID-19 health crisis affect negotiation and and what you're trying to accomplish, or, or what what our country is trying to accomplish globally?
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm glad you raised that because it has been um, you know a tricky a tricky time um, because uh, you know the meetings and negotiations that normally would take place face-to-face are taking place across a video screen. And, you know, I think that that points to one of the, the other big, uh, you know, tips that, um, that I would give your listeners and that I suspect you give your clients, which is um, make friends before you need them. Um, you know, mm-hmm. make sure that you have that trust and that you have that, uh, you know, well-worn path of communication prior to having an issue, having a challenge, having a need to reach out to uh, your interlocutors uh, at another company in a foreign government, et cetera, because um, you know you never want that first conversation with someone to be, oh, hi, my name is, and this is what I need, right? So, um, yeah, right. and I'm, I'm sure that's part and parcel of what, what you all talk about with your your client base as well. and. Um, you know, what we found in COVID is that for, you know, firms like ours that are our, our businesses to have those relationships and to have that trust built up with foreign governments globally. And, um, you know, it's 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 a real need um, and it's a real I mean, candidly, it's a real advantage um, to those of us that have those relationships already built um because you know when things are happening on you know WhatsApp or on a Google Meet or whatever the case might be um unless you already have those relationships um you're not necessarily going to be connect be able to connect excuse me with the right people in the right way
2: I love that I love that I uh for a time when you were still at Georgetown you too I was working in Washington and I worked for a high profile person who gave me some wise advice and that was uh, don't just call people or interact with them when times are good, because that's the time way back when, when you actually had these little handwritten messages and would be a stack of messages that people would all expect when they had a triumph in their professional life. Uh, but it was the times he always said, Hey, you got to reach out when someone is down, lost a job, um, uh, yep. had a failure. Those were really important times to be, if you really want to be a friend to someone, to make sure you reach out at those times. So this whole concept of you know making sure that uh, you have uh, made friends before you need them, I think, is a really really good advice.
0: No, absolutely, and I, I really learned at the feet of the master on that because the the chairman of our firm, Mac McClarty, uh, who's had very mm-hmm. you know several senior government positions over the years, and is a former CEO, uh, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, you know he is famous in Washington for always following up. And by the by the way, with a handwritten note often as well, even today in the era of email and WhatsApp and all of that. Yep. Um, and people always, they always remember it. And, you know, typically when I, you know, will run into folks, they'll say, oh, you work with Mac. I remember when I was promoted or when, you know, to your point, when I, you know, lost a, a job and he wrote me a note and it meant a lot to me. And often they've saved those notes and, that personal touch, it just I think even more so today that we're so tech focused and screen focused. It it really matters. People remember it.
1: Oh yep. Well, you're speaking our language. You're absolutely speaking our language. This is great. This is great. Uh, so so every one of our guests, Kelly, we have we we have one part of the podcast where we, we try to create a common experience and, and we always do it towards the end of the conversation. We've got what we call our big four questions. Let's turn to those now and I'm going to take the first one here. All right. And uh the the first the first of the big 4 is who is your communications crush and why? It could be a person in history, it could be a teacher, a colleague. You've already told us a, b- a bunch about Mac, maybe maybe there's somebody else that you can harken back to but somebody that really you aspire to communicate like.
0: I think simplicity and communication is everything. And okay. I remember so well, Dean, the first time I went home to Nebraska after you know our first semester at Georgetown, and mm-hmm. speaking to my mom, uh, the tall one, about uh, <laughs> yep. things I'd learned. Uh, and I remember her saying to me, I don't understand what you just said. And if you can't explain it to somebody that doesn't know about what you're working on, then you don't understand the issue well enough. And that has always stuck with me. And, you know, and I find particularly in Washington and, you know, frankly, it's full circle to where we started this conversation about the conflict Mm. that took place here this week, this, this, uh, you know, idea that in order to, govern or in order to be a leader or a ceo that you need to sound smart and what does that look like i just think it's completely off base so i tend to respect people that communicate in a very simple succinct way that doesn't make them try to look like they're smarter than anybody else or better than anybody else and that is clear and you know, gosh, I don't know if I have a crush, but, you know, the the two folks uh, that are currently in our Congress that I have just a ton of respect for and I'm, you know, proud proud to call friends, um, Senator Tim Kaine, who represents me here in, in Virginia, mm-hmm. and a fellow Hoya dean, uh, yep. Yep. Stephanie Murphy, um, it, who represents oh, yeah. Orlando down in Florida, right? Yep. I, I just love the way that both of them communicate because it's real, it's authentic, they're both smart as hell, but you know what? They talk in a way that it's clear and direct and accessible and not condescending. And I just think we've got a huge deficit of that right now.
1: What, what, what that's such a great answer. That is such a great answer.
2: I love and, it. You know, I also just wanted to just uh, say that I think it's really easy to hear it when someone's trying to sound smarter than they are or yes. as you say air quotes sound smart like it, mm-hmm. it's very they might not know it but it's pretty pretty easy to detect and off-putting so uh next in the big four is your most cringeworthy communications moment uh assuming not when you came home to your mom and uh she couldn't understand what you're saying in your fancy <laughs> Georgetown uh, language.
0: Gosh, you know, the, and I, I debated over this. It's hard to say. I mean, I would say that my most cringeworthy communication moment, and I wish it were just one moment, but unfortunately, <laughs> we all get so busy. There have been a handful of them. And yep. 100% it's when I didn't have time to prepare. Um, it's when mm-hmm. I didn't have time to prepare and to understand that other persons, maybe I didn't have time to read their bio, or maybe I didn't have time to, you know, research their positions and their, mm-hmm. um, you know, opinions on certain, what have they written about? Did they do a podcast last week on a certain issue? Yes. I would say 100% of the time when I've dropped the ball on preparation is when I've said something that I regret it. And when I said, you know what, uh, I, I offended that person without knowing it, I said something in yeah. a way that was not accessible to them and, and, totally. and, and without knowing it. I attribute 100% of my cringes on that to lack of prep.
1: Yeah, and 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 that moment when you realize you've been exposed, and 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 that your lack of prep is now obvious in the room. That's you know that's that that's that moment. I've, we've all had those. I, I, I'm laughing as I listen to you say it because it's like, wow, I I I just stepped in it, and I know it, and everyone else yeah. in the room probably knows it too.
0: Or or so. you know one of your colleagues will send you a note, and you know. <laughs> And then, and then you have to tap, you know, a course uh, yes. midstream, but. Uh, hey,
2: just FYI, they might put in the note, like FYI,
0: remember that. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. I've been the recipient exactly. of and the passer of some of those notes from time to time. I yeah. that. All of us, all of us.
1: Yeah, that's great. All right, question number three. So there's a phrase we use, we, we, we borrowed it, we believe we borrowed it from Seth Godin, and the, and the phrase is a sea of overwhelm and that we're living in a world where everybody is desperately trying to stay afloat in a sea of overwhelm. And, and by that, he means just a really noisy world and, and, and how and, and there's so much access expected and so much content coming at us. And, and we'd love to just hear, you know, what strategies you might have for staying afloat in this sea of overwhelm you can answer it in terms of how you manage the stuff that comes at you or you could answer it and how do you help yourself be heard knowing that others are overwhelmed but we'd love to hear your thoughts on just this noisy world and, and how do we navigate it
0: now absolutely and i think you know that's always a challenge i think as uh the twitterverse has become more active uh that's become an increasing challenge because it's a balance because you know, in 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 the type of job that I have, um, and that you know many of us have in this consultancy field, you're expected to know everything, right? Um, but at the same time, if you try to know absolutely everything, you know nothing. So it's it's very important for me, and my my rule of thumb is, uh, particularly working in the political world where there's a lot of noise. Um, I really focus during my work day, which I wish were nine to five, but it's a lot longer than that. But during that normal work day, to focus on the things where I know that I can add value to my clients. So if it's mm-hmm. something that's politically interesting to me, or a topic uh, that you know perhaps the president or a cabinet member is speaking on, uh, but doesn't really impact issues that I am working on and where I need to achieve certain metrics. Um, I set that aside, um, for personal time. And I think having that bright line between, you know, what you need to know for what you're working on and to add value, uh, you know, for, for, for your endeavors, um, and, and what's nice to know, um, I think is very important. And, and I'm finding, I don't know about you all, but I find it's harder to do that under COVID because I'm working at home. Um, and so really drawing that bright line and being disciplined about it, um, is something that I think, especially, uh, during this work from home time has, has been a challenge, but it's been one I'm really, I'm really working on.
2: Love it. Well, good. I'm going to be, I'm going to look up this word discipline, Dean, um, after, uh, to see what that's all about. (laughs) I'm interested in that. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, the last of the big four is what's the best communications coaching advice for a person on the front end of their career?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I I gave you the advice I got that I'm still using at age 52, um, you know, and that was to, you know, listen more than I talk. Uh, still, yeah. mm-hmm. still working on that. I think we all are, um, you know, so that's that's first and foremost. But I think, I, you know, secondarily, I would say um Authenticity. And uh, it mm-hmm. gets a little bit of what we were talking about, uh, and and Dan, you're the one that said it, um, is that you know you can kind of tell right away when someone yeah. is kind of giving you a line or saying more than they know. Um, and let's be honest, when we're in our, we're in our twenties, there's a heck of a lot we don't know. And I feel like I'm in my fifties, and there's a heck of a lot I still don't know. Um, but, you know, just just being authentic, being who you are, saying what you know, saying what you don't know, asking for help, offering help um, are, mm-hmm. are, are key I think, to folks starting out in their careers.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well,
0: Kelly, we really appreciate this time. We
1: could go on for like two more hours with you, but but uh, but but we, we all have places to be and we know you do. and 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 we want to be respectful of our listeners time, too. So, so we just want to close by just saying it's been great, and you know, just love connecting with a former classmate and and a fellow Hoya, and uh, we've learned a lot on this conversation, and we just couldn't be more grateful for our time with you today. So, thanks for being a guest with us today.
0: No, Dean. To the contrary, this is a lot of fun. Dan, great to meet you and spend some time with both of you.
1: Thanks so much. It's been a blast. Thank you, Kelly.
0: Absolutely. Take care.
1: Wow, Dan, what a fascinating conversation with Kelly. She brought up so many unbelievably interesting points.
2: Amen. Aren't, aren't we lucky that you guys went to school together? She was a great get.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was a fascinating conversation. So, so as we always do for our listeners, let's close out this, this podcast with a quick summary of what we just heard. And, and let's each pull out the, 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 the points that really resonated with us. What, what was most powerful for you, Dan, in that conversation?
2: Well, it only took me four or five podcasting, but now I'm ready for this because I'm taking notes along the way because I know you're going to be asking me this. So I would say two things for me uh, the balance that you need in all communications, but especially international trade negotiations, between the o- emotional sensitivity and EQ and openness to be aware of what others are experiencing and what their needs are, but balancing mm-hmm. that off with the toughness and your security to not take things personally. And those are not antithetical, but there is a little bit of a conflict there. So the the needing of of both of those things and the balance and how those things balance out, I I thought that was fascinating. And then the the second one's a little bit uh, shorter and sweeter. It's just make friends before you need them. And that's something if your mom or dad didn't teach you that or a mentor didn't teach you that, Kelly uh, just helped you with that important piece of uh, life advice.
1: Yeah, so many great nuggets here. You know, the, the ones that jumped out for me, she drew the connection between economics and psychology, which I guess is something that I that I would have thought of before, but I don't know that I ever have. And she brought it up in a way that I hadn't really thought about, you know, what, what your economic strengths and weaknesses are or the things that are happening inside your, your part of the world economically are going to drive so much about how you look at the world, how you feel, what your psychology is. That yeah. may be obvious for some, but but that's a connection I hadn't thought about in a while. And then the second one for me, you know, I loved her conversation about different audiences. She's obviously speaking our language. You know, we 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 talk about that a lot at the Latimer Group, but she gave us, you know, the, the, the at least three critical audiences in any trade negotiation. And I hadn't even thought of the uh, you know the interagency discussions before you can even go to the table. With your potential international partners and then and and then the third audience being selling it back here at home, which you know sometimes is the hardest one and and just understanding what each of those constituencies are going to be caring about and 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 how hard it is sometimes to balance it I mean that is you know we're teaching that all day every day and 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 it was really interesting to see and hear how much her world in international trade negotiations is dealing with the same things that our clients are dealing with i mean it's 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 yeah. universal you know
2: dean to your, to that point uh, precisely you know we work with a lot of teams other you know in leadership programs or whatever and they have to do a presentation they're making a pitch and they're working with teams of four or five and so it's a microcosm those four or five in terms of you yeah. see people negotiating with one another in terms of you know what's the most important what do we lead with what do we conclude with So I I was thinking about that as she was talking about uh, the interagency negotiations prior to an international negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. I mean, international trade negotiations are just
1: a microcosm of so many other forms of business communication and the same things matter. And, and, you know, the last point that I'll make, and then we'll, we'll let our listeners get on with their lives. You know, she, go back to the early story she told about growing up, uh, you know, in the Midwest and, some of the challenges that her mother had, and, and, and then Kelly drew the connection with understanding each other and, 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 and how, in many ways, we're speaking different languages in America, uh, depending upon where you live, and, and, yeah. and also connecting this to the economics and psychology conversation. My big hope for 2021 is that we start ourselves on a path where we listen to each other with more empathy, and we become better at understanding that there are a lot, a lot of different uh, parts of our country that don't always care about the same things, and having respect for that, and and and, we and really trying to understand each other.
2: If we can't get to that, uh, we're not going to be able to end 2021 with the great hope that uh, we, we we talked about. So that's yeah. a really really important points.
1: Yeah. yeah, here's to a great 2021. So right,
2: right anyway, on. Uh, that that that's
1: it for today. On behalf of the Latimer Group and the Cooney Company. I thank you for listening to the Message Makeover podcast. This is Dean Brenner and Dan Cooney signing off. Until next time. The Message Makeover podcast is brought to you by The Latimer Group, the experts in persuasive communication, online at thelatimergroup.com. And by The Cooney Company, the experts in business connection, online at thecooneycompany.com. And you can find the entire Message Makeover library on SoundCloud or wherever you download podcasts.